This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Welcome back to Bodies of Horror, the podcast where we look at some of our favorite horror films from the classic, the camp, to the cringe, through the lens of disability. I am your host, Nicole, and I am thrilled to have you here. What is on the examination table for this episode? We're traveling back to King Country, Stephen King Country to be exact, and I'm going to be discussing 1976's Carrie directed by Brian De Palma. Carrie is an adaptation of King's first published novel in 1974, and marks the first entry in a very long and forever-growing list of adaptations of King's writing. Now, while I'm going to be super focused on the Brian De Palma film, I'm going to make references to the um, broader Carrie universe. The 1999 sequel, The Rage Carry 2, the 2002 TV movie adapted from the book, the 2013 remake. I'll keep these to a minimum, but we'll bring them up for some additional context here and there. Definitely not going to be referencing the musical, though. Alright, all of that said, let's get into Carrie. It's the night of the senior prom. The Bates High School gym is alive with excitement. Everybody is there, even Carrie White, the girl no one likes. We're all sorry about this incident, Cassie. It's Carrie! And everyone makes fun of her. The girl who lives in that creepy house with her crazy mother. Help the silly woman see the sin of her days and ways. Show her that if she had remained sinless, the curse of blood would never have come on her. The girl with the strange power. If I concentrate hard enough, I can move things. But tonight, no one will laugh at Carrie. If you don't have a date to the prom next Friday, would you like to go with me? She's with the best-looking boy in the senior class. He's trying to trick me again. She'll be voted queen of the prom. You know, I can make sure that you don't hurt Carrie White anymore. For Carrie, it will be a dream come true. For everyone else, it will be a nightmare. (coughs) Carrie. (coughs) A new film by Brian De Palma. Based on the chilling bestseller. Starring Sissy Spacek, Piper Laurie, and introducing John Travolta in his first motion picture role. If you have a taste for terror, you have a date with Carrie. Shy 16-year-old Carrie White, who lives with her fanatically religious mother Margaret, is unpopular at school and often bullied by her peers. When Carrie experiences her first period in the school shower, 
She panics, having never been told about this process. Carrie's classmates humiliate her by throwing tampons and pads at her while chanting, plug it up, until the gym teacher, Miss Collins, intervenes. Following conversations with Miss Collins and the principal, Carrie is dismissed from school for the day. After arriving home, Margaret tells Carrie that her menstruation was caused by sin, and she locks Carrie in an altar-like prayer closet to pray for forgiveness. At school, Collins reprimands Carrie's tormentors, punishing them with a week-long detention during gym class. She threatens that those who skip the punitive measure will be suspended for three days and barred from the upcoming prom. However, Carrie's longtime bully, the wealthy and popular Christine Chris Harginson, walks out. Plotting vengeance against Carrie, Chris and her boyfriend, Billy Nolan, break into a local farm and kill pigs to drain their blood into a bucket, which they place above the school's main stage in the gymnasium. Norma, Chris's best friend and prominent figure in school's student council regime, plans to rig the prom queen election in Carrie's favor to get her on stage. Meanwhile, Sue Snell, a deeply remorseful classmate, asks her handsome and popular boyfriend, Tommy Ross, to invite Carrie to the prom. Carrie initially thinks the proposition is a prank, but he insists that he is genuine, and she reluctantly accepts after Miss Collins consoles her. Back at home, she begins to discover that she has telekinesis as she shakes off her shyness. Despite Margaret's protest, Carrie puts on a flattering dress and hairstyle for the prom. Margaret sees Carrie's telekinetic powers and denounces her as a witch before Carrie leaves with Tommy. During the prom, Chris and Billy hide under the stage while the other conspirators switch the ballots to ensure Carrie wins prom queen. As Carrie stands on stage with Tommy, finally beginning to feel accepted by her peers, Sue arrives just in time, realizing that Chris and Billy have this plan and begins to intervene. Miss Collins spots Sue and, thinking that she is up to no good, throws her out of the prom. Chris and Billy pull the rope attached to the bucket of pig's blood, dousing Carrie, and they promptly sneak out of the school. They empty the bucket uh, onto Carrie, and that bucket then hits an outraged Tommy in the head, and he collapses. The crowd is left shocked and speechless at the prank. Carrie hallucinates that everyone is mocking her, and in a sudden outburst, she telekinetically seals the exits from the gymnasium and controls a fire hose, which injures several partygoers attempting to escape and sprays the overhead lights, setting the gym on fire. Miss Collins is crushed by a falling bas uh, basketball backboard, and Carrie's principal and teacher are electrocuted. As Carrie walks home, Chris and Billy attempt to run her over with Billy's car, but Carrie senses their presence and causes their car to swerve and overturn, thus exploding and killing them. After Carrie bathes herself at home, Margaret reveals that Carrie was conceived by marital rape, and her husband was drunk, an act that Margaret shamefully admits she enjoyed. Margaret comforts Carrie and then stabs her in the back with a kitchen knife and begins to chase her through the house. Carrie levitates several sharp and 
implements and sends them flying towards Margaret, crucifying her. Carrie then destroys the house and consequently perishes. Some time later, Sue, the only survivor of the prom, struggling to deal with the trauma she has experienced, has a nightmare which she lays flowers on the charmed remains of Carrie's home, upon which stands a for sale sign vandalized in black paint with the phrase Carrie White Burns in Hell. Suddenly, bloody arms reach from beneath the rubble and grab Sue's forearm. Sue wakes up screaming and her mother comforts her. Now, before we talk about Carrie, there is one small thing that I want to address regarding the plot synopsis because uh, it's kind of making me a little bit batty in terms of the logistics of it. And that is now, and I admit, I am a couple days out of my most recent watch of Carrie. So maybe I'm missing something as well, but I'm pretty sure that Sue and Tommy decide to get Carrie to prom before Chris and Billy go to the farm and get the pig's blood. It kind of makes no sense for them in any kind of structural way to go through this process of creating this plan to dump blood on someone that is more than likely not going to show up without the insurance of her having someone like Tommy to take her. It just, I don't know. It's one of those things that I don't understand how that piece of the plot synopsis is kind of framed because it just, it makes no sense. So I just wanted to get that out there because logistics, things like that. So let's talk about Carrie. And for this discussion, I really want to frame it primarily on how religion views and understands disability with obviously the focus going to be on evangelical Christianity and Christianity in general, knowing that different faiths are going to look at disability, illness, etc. very differently. And in doing a little bit of research on this, it becomes even more kind of confusing just even looking at it through the lens of Christianity. Because Christianity is diverse and you have different sects, different uh, denominations. So each kind of offshoot looks and interprets the stories in the Bible around um, disabled and sick individuals very differently. So it became a little bit of uh, confusing and uh, not pleasant process. So what I am going to lean more towards is focusing in on Margaret White's brand of Christianity and how she has, and apparently kind of her teachings have informed her view of disability. When you look at certain Bible stories, you can interpret them many different ways. The stories of Jesus going and healing individuals that are sick. There's a lot to take away from those. Um, you know, Jesus will often go into communities of 
non-believers and perform these healings, usually with an audience, as a way to say, hey, believe in the power of God and believe in my ability to execute. Uh, believe in my status as the son of God, as I'm the one that's doing these healings. There are a couple of specific instances in the Bible where Jesus flat out says that a person's illness or disability isn't associated with sin. But this then kind of goes against some of the other messages around um, kind of punishment and parentage and all the things that you see beginning in the Old Testament. Again, it's really confusing. There's a thousand and different ones to kind of look at these parables. So really want to focus in on what seem to be the tenets of Margaret White's specific beliefs. Now, I've also shared a little bit about my own personal experiences growing up around faith, particularly evangelical Christianity related to my dad. And so I'll be sharing a little bit of that as well as we talk about Carrie. So let's talk about Carrie and let's talk about her telekinesis. Well, first off, the telekinesis is presented in a very kind of disability way in the story. Even though with Brian De Palma's film, we see the telekinesis almost being activated by Carrie having her first period. But within the book, uh, Carrie actually has had these powers of sorts from an incredibly young age. In fact, one would probably make the jump that she's had them from birth. And this is where I'm going to uh, mention the sequel, The Rage Carrie 2. So The Rage Carrie 2 is basically Carrie, but with Carrie's younger sister, um, or younger half-sister rather. Uh, both fathered by the same man. We get flashbacks in the Rage Carrie 2 of Carrie's younger sister, Rachel, having the same kind of abilities as Carrie from a very young age. And we learn that it was something that was passed down from their father. So we can make the logical jump that this was Carrie's situation as well. That Carrie had these telekinetic abilities from birth, essentially. The Rage Carrie, too, also adds in kind of the uh, hereditary aspect of it being passed down. Now, of course, you have to, to note that there is no um, kind of scientific or research to support that telekinesis is an actually occurring phenomenon. But we're dealing with Stephen King, magical realism. We have to kind of look at it and accept it within that realm and that context. Another aspect of Carrie that really connected with me from a disability perspective is the very beginning, being horrified when she sees blood in the shower, not realizing that this is her first period. A lot of individuals with disabilities are often not given the kind of sexual 
uh, health education that their peers are. And that's because from kind of a parental uh, standpoint to an educator standpoint, many feel like that's just not information that individuals with disabilities are going to need. Well, she's not going to have sex, so why tell her about her body? Why educate her on these things? Because she doesn't need to know. And there's definitely a flavor of that. I think I had talked um, a little bit about in a past episode where, you know, when I believe it was fourth grade, the class was being separated into girls and boys. And the girls were going to go and get the period talk and boys were going to go and get their talk. Um, The teacher basically said I didn't have to go because, you know, it's not going to apply to me. And I'm a person with a body and so it does apply to me. So you can kind of see perhaps where from both the education standpoint from the school and, you know, the mom uh, at home kind of sharing this information with Gary really kind of failed her. Now let's kind of apply that idea also to her telekinesis. So when Carrie begins to use her abilities, discover them, she also is doing homework. She's going to the library and researching telekinesis and researching miracles and trying to figure out what is going on. And the more that she learns, the more that she discovers what it is and that she isn't alone in having this ability, she begins to feel a little bit more comfortable, um, not just with the burgeoning abilities that she has, but I think just kind of within her own skin. She isn't alone and she doesn't have to be afraid of what this ability is because others have it as well. It's almost like it's a natural occurrence. Now I want to start talking a little bit more about Margaret White and her response to both Carrie's maturing body and her maturing telekinetic abilities. So when Margaret discovers that Carrie has had her first period, she's fairly livid and quotes scripture to Carrie, makes Carrie repeat it, and then locks her in a prayer closet for, I don't know, an undisclosed amount of time. But I guess until, you know, Carrie feels that she has atoned for her sin of nothing. Margaret, being a woman that has been in the world for some time, being someone that has had a child, you would think that she would understand logically that a period is something that is going to happen uh, to individuals with specific body parts, which Carrie has. What the, I think, issue here is that Carrie's period symbolizes Carrie's coming of age, her transitioning into an adult. And especially in this movie, Carrie's a little bit older. She's in, 
She's an older high school student. She's 16. And she's coming into her own a bit. And I think that this is also a sign, one of the first main signs, that Margaret isn't going to be able to have the level of control over Carrie that she's had for very much longer. That Carrie is going to get older and is going to be seeking out independence. Now, we talked a little bit in previous episodes about how some parents of children with disabilities have a hard time letting go that they will be overprotective to sheltering of their child because they're afraid of what their child may have to encounter if they go out into the world by themselves. And it doesn't come from a necessarily bad place, but it does often leave those children very ill-equipped when they're going off on their own. And sometimes simply not able to go off on their own. So I, I think there's a little bit of this at play too. Now, the first scene in which Carrie really uses her telekinetic abilities in front of Margaret in any kind of way is when she is asserting the fact that she will be going to prom with Tommy. Things are going to change around here. Which? That's Satan's power. It's nothing to do with Satan, Mama. It's me. Me. If I concentrate hard enough, I can move things. Satan is clever. Mama, I'm not the only one. Other people can do it. I read about it. Oh, you poor child, don't you know? He doesn't let you know he's working through you. I know. He ended your father and carried him off. He ran away, Mama. The devil tempted him. He ran away with a woman, Mama. Everybody knows that. You must renounce this power. You must give it up. You must never use it. I'm going. Now, in the same way that Margaret is looking at Carrie's telekinesis as sin and evil and as a representation of Satan essentially working in her, there are individuals that view disability in a very, very similar light. And that was kind of my experience growing up. Um, as I've, I think, touched on before, um, grew up in a single parent home. My parents divorced when I was born. Um, my dad didn't want to have a child with a disability. And when he remarried, became a born again, kind of evangelical Christian, his kind of take on disabilities uh, kind of continued down a path of I being a product of sin 
and I went through a number of faith healings when I would visit in the summers and it's a really horrific thing to have a parent that is supposed to protect and love you feel that a part of you is completely evil and and something that makes you less than. Carrie does something pretty spectacular in this scene and that she not only asserts herself in terms of independence saying no this is something that I'm going to do and this is something I am going to do whether you like it or not but because she had done her homework she was able to say no this isn't there's nothing evil about me this is something that occurs other people have it too and they're not evil either it's a really kind of empowering scene for her and it shows the importance of being able to be secure and knowledgeable about yourself and your disability. Knowledge is power and that's why whether it's being knowledgeable about how your body works from the sexual health perspective when we get back to the beginning where Carrie is having a period, you know, she wouldn't have freaked out if she would have known, hey, this is a period, this happens, and she probably would have had a completely different reaction. Here, Carrie has been able to educate herself and become knowledgeable about what her ability or disability, you know, we're, we're kind of using those interchangeably here, um, means and is comfortable and able to feel empowered by it. Now, also of note in this uh, scene is the fact that you get the smallest mention of Carrie's father. And Margaret very specifically says, you know, it, it's Satan's power that also took your dad away. And so while it's not super specific, it is kind of laying a bit of that groundwork of what I talked about with the Rage Carry 2 and the abilities being passed down through uh, both Carrie and Rachel's father. I now want to talk a little bit about the prom and kind of the end of Carrie's story to kind of bring home some of these other uh, kind of disability ideas. So Sue has asked her boyfriend, a very popular athlete in school, Tommy, to take Carrie to prom out of guilt for her participating in the bullying at the beginning. And Tommy, I think being a genuinely decent person, kind of understands where Sue is coming from and goes along with it and doesn't seem to have any qualms about it. Now, while this film in particular leans in on the fact that Tommy is doing this to really do an act of kindness for his girlfriend and for Carrie, there is this uh, kind of underlying idea of pity. And this is something that's really hit on in the remake with only one line. 
So in the remake, when Tommy has asked Carrie to prom, uh, the gym teacher goes to them and is wanting to make sure that they're not planning anything uh, bad, that this isn't going to be a prank on Carrie. And this iteration of Tommy says, well, you know, just like how Tim Tebow will take uh, kids to prom. That's what I'm doing. Something along those lines. And of course it brings up all those images of celebrities um, that will take disabled individuals to like a school dance or a prom so that they can go because no one else will take them. And while on one hand I kind of like that the remake as in this component because it does seem kind of strange that you know if you're dating someone and they say hey I know that we were going to go to this thing but I would rather you just take someone else you know the fact that he so willingly goes along with it without any kind of pushback does seem a little bit odd um she doesn't really have to sell him too hard on the idea but um you know, putting it in the context that the remake does with that line, I think, also ties it into, you know, just the pity aspect. And, you know, certainly something being disabled, whether it's, you know, a, getting an onslaught of what is often referred to as inspo porn. You know, look, they did something nice for the disabled person. Or look at the disabled person overcoming their disability. Um this kind of the the remake hones in a little bit more on that and I kind of appreciate that it went there in not a super super specific way but in its own way you and Chris are best friends if you two if you three are planning on playing a joke on a lonely defenseless girl this has nothing to do with Chris or you Mr. Jardin and for me Listen, due respect, Mr. Jardin, this is between Sue and me. You know, it's kind of like a private thing. And, and what is the big deal anyway? It's just for one night, right? But famous athletes like Tim Tebow, he, he takes kids to prom all the time, and everyone loves him for it. So now let's talk about prom. Everything seems to be going pretty perfectly for Carrie, up until it's not, up until she gets crowned, the prom queen, and the plot truly unfolds with the pig's blood getting dumped on her. As if the act itself isn't mortifying enough, her rage, I think, gets activated by hearing her mother's voice. They're all gonna laugh at you. And it feeling like it's coming to fruition suddenly all of the horrible things about herself that her mom had told her and been instilling in her are affirmed. Frightened, angry, and ill-equipped with what to do in that scenario, Carrie lashes out and makes waste of pretty much everyone in the gym. I think there's also 
a bit of self-fulfilling prophecy in this moment. You know, if someone tells you something so many times, any kind of sign or indication that it could be true makes it true. And so Carrie kind of leans in to this inner rage and kind of evil component to her being. I think this is also underscored when Carrie makes it home. She's looking for absolution from her mom and she wants to pray and she believes her mom and believes that her mom can help her find some kind of salvation. It's a surprisingly dark and sad way to end Carrie's story with her believing that she is all of the horrible things that her mother and her peers had said about her, that her power was evil, that her abilities were evil, that her disability was evil. So it's just a really, I think, interesting kind of idea that a lot of other films don't hit on. We have a complex kind of take on, you know, the disabled monster, the disabled villain trope. I do think that that's going to wrap it up on talking about Carrie. I do hope that looking at it through this particular lens of you know, associating the telekinesis as disability, uh, perhaps made the story hit a different way. There's so many unique uh, ways that you can look at this story. And I just, in, you know, listening to all the podcasts that have covered it or reading a lot of various pieces on it, I find that the disability component or perspective just hasn't been there. And so I was really excited to kind of look at this and be able to apply uh, not only that perspective, but also kind of talk a little bit about my own personal experience and how it kind of resonated as well. So that's going to do it for this episode. As always, thank you so, so, so much for listening. Bodies of Horror is a proud member of the Anatomy of a Scream pod squad. So if you haven't subscribed already, please do so. I'm assuming you have by now, but you know, I gotta do the housekeeping here. So do subscribe if you haven't done so already. Lots of great shows on the feed. New shows show up all the time, so make sure that you are in the loop. If you want to reach out to me, I absolutely love that. You can find me on Twitter at Bodies of Horror, or you can shoot me an email at bodiesofhorror at gmail.com. Feedback, just saying, hey, always appreciated. So feel free to reach out. And until next time. Out
Pod Squad.